Going Linux, episode 277, using VeraCrypt. Welcome to the Going Linux podcast. I'm your host, Larry Bushy. And I'm your co-host, Bill. Whether you are new to Linux, upgrading from Windows to Linux, or just thinking about moving to Linux, this podcast will provide you with valuable information and advice that will help you in going Linux. We hope that you find this and all our episodes helpful in learning about Linux and its applications and using them to get things done. In today's episode, using VeraCrypt. Hey, Bill. Hey, Larry. How are you? Okay. Hey, I hear you've been trying out a new office suite. Well, not a new office suite, an well, old office suite. It's... Well, it's new to me. <laughs> okay. Well, actually, it's it's a new, old, old new, if you really, because uh, anyway, yeah. uh, I just went back to, <laughs> I've been using LibreOffice for a while, and yeah. I just, I, I had been using OpenOffice for a long time, yeah. and now that's part of the Apache, I decided to re-download the, their current version and see how it is. Yeah. And, uh. It's nice. It, it's I like it. Uh, the download downloadable template sets that you can get. Um, I like it how it, it it's set up. It's nice and clean. Uh, I can really use it real quickly. I also use it writing letters and forms. And I needed a template for a, a, a letter I was writing, and I found one perfect. And it was just so simple. I click, boom, download, and start using. And apparently, there's a hundred million other people that uh, have downloaded this and uh, uh, are using it. So, if you get a chance, Larry, give OpenOffice a look. Yeah, I haven't used it since I switched over to LibreOffice, and most of the Linux distributions these days use LibreOffice. But maybe it's time to give it a try once again and the see what they've right. done. Yeah, exactly. So, one of the things you cautioned me on is to make sure that you download it from openoffice.org and not other places. Why is yeah. that? Well, it seems that uh there's all these uh, if you do a Google search for OpenOffice, um there's a whole bunch of these I call them uh aftermarket people that, you know, they Add stuff to it, or they, you know, they want you to put your email uh, address in so you, they can, you know, they get you on lists and you'll get spam forever. But uh, just want to make sure you get it from the official site because you don't know what other people are putting in it because yep. it is open source. So, you know, right. they can see the code and they can add the code. So always just make sure when you're getting it, Larry, make sure you get it from uh, the Apache Foundation site. Yep. OpenOffice.org. OpenOffice.org. Yeah, cross-platform, of course, if you want to use it on other operating systems. Windows, Mac, Linux. I believe you yep. even have one for BSD. Yep, and it's always good to get it from the original source. That way you don't get on mailing lists. You don't get spyware if you're on Windows. And you don't get crapware and other stuff installed like the Ask toolbar and other nasty stuff. Yeah, there's something else. There are some of us that do use Windows day-to-day, -to -day too. But it's nice to have OpenOffice on my Windows uh, installation and an OpenOffice on my Linux installation. So it's when I'm ever whichever one I'm using, I don't have to learn where everything is. It's just the same for each one. Yeah. So well, I have to use Microsoft Office for work. But uh, uh, you were saying something about the OpenOffice uh, as opposed to LibreOffice being a little more. Uh, compatible with the Microsoft Office file formats? 
Uh, I heard that. I haven't tested it. I'm going okay. to. Uh, so, but I will say I like the interface better. It's just it just seems cleaner, and okay. uh, I don't know if it's because I had used it before when it was old, and it's just remind and it's just coming back to me because I used OpenOffice a lot. Yeah, uh, I used it when I was actually in uh, going to school uh, because I, I wasn't going to pay the six hundred dollars that Microsoft wanted for their um, Word. Wow. Yeah. So that's the only way I could afford it. So I, I was using Open Office. I, it, because I was going to a, a tech school at the time, they, I didn't qualify for their special discounted price. So I wasn't going to give them $600 or whatever it was. So it's, that's been about what, five, six years ago, but uh, Open Office got me through the class and no one ever complained. So, <laughs> but uh, it, I just don't know if it's just because I've used it so much. Yeah. Give it a look. Definitely a good uh, good product, that's for sure. Okay, well, right. I'll have to give it another try. Well, unfortunately, just as we finish recording that introduction, Bill received a phone call and needed to leave to take care of a personal issue. So for the balance of this episode, it will just be me. This episode originally started with a suggestion from listener David who suggested actually an episode on TrueCrypt, but before we got to it, the TrueCrypt project suddenly shut down in May of 2014, and we really didn't pick it up again until now. And the reason we're doing it now is because VeraCrypt has been released. It's the successor to TrueCrypt, and it is now available. So in the original email, David wrote, You may remember years and years ago, I wrote you about how I was, and still am, using Dropbox to keep my secure stuff, financial data, password files, personal records, etc. You may wish to mention it again as a follow-up to one of your previous episodes. I used TrueCrypt to secure a folder on my Linux PC, holding my personal data stored inside my Dropbox folder. Thus, whenever I update any file in the folder, accessing it through TrueCrypt or something similar, it is then backed up on Dropbox. I can then also access it from other computers. TrueCrypt is multi-platform. One twist that I now have via my Android phone is that by using FolderSync, available in the Android Play Store, I automatically update my Android phone SD card with the contents of my Dropbox. So I also have a physical backup. Using EDS Lite, also in the Android store, I can even open up my TrueCrypt folder on my phone. P.S. I should have mentioned that the TrueCrypt folder, in quotes, is like a removable disk to Linux and should be relatively small, as it is just a simple file once it's encrypted. Therefore, any minor change to a single file within the folder results in the whole folder being re-uploaded to Dropbox. So, David, thanks for the suggestion, and we're going to take that and substitute VeraCrypt for TrueCrypt. You may be wondering at this point, what is VeraCrypt? Well, VeraCrypt is the successor to TrueCrypt, and it's a free disk encryption software from an organization named IDRIX, IDRIX or IDRIX, 
It's a French company. We'll have a link to their website in the show notes. And the VeraCrypt software is, of course, based on TrueCrypt. TrueCrypt provides high security disk encryption. According to their website, the system requirements for VeraCrypt are Windows XP and newer, or Mac OS X 10.6 and newer. OSX Fuse must be installed with Mac Fuse compatibility mode activated. Uh, or Linux 32 or 64 bit versions with kernel 2.6 and newer. So it's truly cross platform Windows, OS X, and Linux. First, let me give you a little bit of an overview. VeraCrypt picks up from where TrueCrypt left off. The VeraCrypt team has enhanced the security algorithms used for the system and partition encryption. They've improved security and reduced its vulnerability overall. Uh, you can mount your old TrueCrypt volumes if you have them. And VeraCrypt also allows you to convert TrueCrypt containers and non-system partitions to the VeraCrypt format. It's a transparent encryption layer for all kinds of storage. It creates virtual drives from simple drives. It supports encryption with a password, a key file, or both. The developer said in a recent Floss Weekly podcast interview that VeraCrypt is open source and is developed with complete transparency. Since it is developed in France, VeraCrypt is not under any government pressure to include a backdoor for the government. VeraCrypt is not licensed under the GPL, though. It's licensed under the original TrueCrypt license. You must agree to that license during the installation in order to install and use VeraCrypt. Installation on Linux is done via an installation script, and just before the installation starts, you're presented with a message box that indicates how you can uninstall VeraCrypt. It says, to uninstall VeraCrypt, please run the script veracrypt-uninstall.sh. Installation is very quick. Once installed, you can easily create a new volume. A volume is a file that will be encrypted and will act like a virtual drive or partition on your computer. Then you use VeraCrypt software to mount the volume and you use it just like any real drive or partition. Be careful when you share VeraCrypt volumes on Dropbox, similar services, or on a server like David does. If you need to access a single VeraCrypt volume simultaneously from multiple operating systems, there are two options you can use to share the volume over a network. The first option is to mount the volume on one computer, then share the contents of that volume over the network as you would with any shared file system. This lets all users write data to the VeraCrypt volume, and in this case, only one computer mounts the volume. A disadvantage of this method is that the information shared over the network is not encrypted unless you use SSL, TLS, VPN, or other technologies like that. Another disadvantage is that when you restart your computer, the network share will be automatically restored only if the volume is a system favorite folder or an encrypted system partition or drive. The VeraCrypt documentation has an entire chapter on how to configure a volume as a system favorite volume. The second option is to store your VeraCrypt file container on a server in a Dropbox folder or in another location that's shared over your network. 
Multiple computers, even with different operating systems, can then mount the shared file, but for full read-write access, only one system at a time can mount the volume. In order for multiple computer systems to use the volume simultaneously, the volume must be mounted in read-only mode. This method ensures that data sent over the network is encrypted. The main disadvantage of this method is that in order to prevent data corruption, the shared volume must be either mounted with full access by a single computer at a time, or if multiple systems need to access the volume simultaneously, they must each mount the volume in read-only mode. The VeraCrypt documentation contains a section on mounting a volume in read-only mode. One last caution, if you're sharing your VeraCrypt volume with multiple operating systems, you'll need to choose a file format that's compatible with each OS. As we discussed with listener George on our Google Plus community recently, it's not always a simple choice, and we'll have a link to that discussion in our show notes as well. Even with all these cautions around sharing volumes over a network, if you want to protect information from casual snooping in a container with encryption, VeraCrypt is for you. VeraCrypt is very easy to use, but it's not something we can describe adequately in an audio podcast. VeraCrypt provides simple instructions in their manual. The manual is accessible both within the application and online. But sometimes you need to see how it's done. That's why we're creating a screencast. It shows installing VeraCrypt on Linux and using it to encrypt a simple volume. We'll have that as Going Linux Screencast number 8 when it's available. We'll have a link in the show notes to the screencast as well. Well, that's it for our episode for today. Our next episode will be listener feedback. Hopefully, Bill will be back by then. So until then, you can go to our website at goinglinux.com for articles and show notes, as well as links to download and subscribe. We are the website for computer users who just want to use Linux to get things done. And if you like, you can participate directly with our friendly and helpful community members by joining the discussion in our Going Linux podcast, Google Plus Community. Until next time, thanks for listening. Theme music provided by Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com.